Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we come to you in worship to ask for your help as we try to follow the ways of your Son, Jesus. Help us to have open minds and hearts as we look into your word. And thank you, Father, for being available to us through your Son and through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Just what are we to make of this miraculous healing by our Lord that was described to us in the Gospel reading by Deacon Bob? We know that Jesus was able to heal physical diseases as well as disorders of the soul. But we are awestruck, especially when we read stories of such miraculous happenings, events that fly in the face of natural order. There are several elements that we should look at as we try to learn more about the ways of our Lord. And then I should like to comment on one way of looking at miraculous healing in our day. But before examining the elements, we should also look briefly at the context of the passage. You know me in contexts. To gain more insight into the trajectory that Mark was trying to lay out. About a year ago, here, the text for the message was the preceding verses where Jesus healed the daughter of the Canaanite woman, the Syro-Phoenician woman, and that was in Tyre. Remembering, all of you, that Sidon and Tyre are in present-day Lebanon. And you'll recall that passage probably about the crumbs under the table. If you don't, look it up. You may remember that I emphasized that Jesus was way out of his geographic element, some 40 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. I hope you can get that picture in your mind. When that pesky woman pleading for healing of her daughter came to him. Remember that despite our Lord's initial reluctance to consider helping, persistence won. And the woman's daughter was healed of her affliction. Well, that is one of the bookends, or part of the the beginning context here. And it is important, because this is where we first saw Jesus making his healing power available to the Gentiles. Remember, the woman was a Greek, a pagan. Now, The bookend following our passage in Mark chapter 8 involves Peter and his profound statement of acceptance of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. One gets the impression, at least I do, (laughs) that it had taken Peter a considerable time, a period of time, to receive from the Lord and to reflect on what he had received before he was able to confess this. And it would appear that geography becomes important here. Folks did not travel great distances back then, especially in short periods of time, 
as we do today. There were no airplanes flying around and only donkeys. And having owned two donkeys at one time, they're ponderously slow, unless you give them a lot of oats. Jesus most likely took many months to travel back to the area around the Sea of Galilee. Now again, geography, especially when we realized that he traveled 20 miles north to Sidon before he then traveled 60 miles south to the Sea of Galilee. It sounds bizarre as you read it in Scripture because it says he traveled to Ga the Sea of Galilee via Sidon. Well, it ain't via, it's north. <laughs> Amazing, quite different. I think that this extended period of time may have been necessary for Jesus to expose his closest followers to more and more of his healing and his teaching and his preaching to get them set up for what their job was going to be. All that on context. What about some thoughts on the content that may be of interest? Number one, we notice that Jesus took the disabled man aside, away from the crowds. This was to allow privacy, I believe, for the healing. In my experience, deaf and speech disabled folks are often embarrassed by their infirmity. And that was probably true here. And Jesus, in his compassion, made the healing event private. There is a certain pathos in this scene, and Jesus senses that and acts oh so pastorally. His sighing also suggests that he was, as usual, in tune with the afflicted in their afflictions. Does this not reinforce what I said two weeks ago when I spoke to you about the humanity, the essential humanity of Jesus Christ? He was God incarnate. He was very man, very God. And I spoke on that two weeks ago, and to me, this being in touch with his afflictions even more underlines his essential humanity. We should note the connection to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah here. This is Isaiah chapter 35. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then he says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. We should know, too, that Jesus looked up to heaven at the time of the healing. Obviously, he was giving credit to his Father for this event. He recognized that all of his power came from his Father. What can we say about the rather peculiar and, to us, unattractive maneuvers that Jesus carries out here? There's no ready explanation for his placing his fingers in the deaf man's ears and of using his own saliva to touch the man's tongue. Charles Simeon, an important evangelical preacher in the late 18th and early 19th centuries in England, sums it up, his thoughts on this, by saying, we must submit to any means by which the Lord conveys 
his benefits. I can't say any better than that, and I don't know what to say about it. And closing this part, I'd like to mention Matthew Henry's thoughts here. By the way, if you don't know Matthew Henry, dig him out. Wonderful good stuff. His thoughts here have the overview that Jesus had a much greater work than that of healing bodily disorders. Jesus is the great physician whose office it is to heal men's souls. He unstops the ears of men so that they may hear his voice and live. He looses their tongues so that they may show forth his praise. Now certainly the event is important, but it is only a stepping stone to the far greater things that our Lord does for us. Finally, some personal thoughts on miraculous healing. I must emphasize that I am not trying to convince anyone that my way of looking at miraculous healing is the right way. I would be the last to ever limit God in any way and say that miraculous healings uh, do not occur. Justin Terry, you've heard me mention before, my seminary dean and a most wonderful man of God, commented on the regrowth of an ear that he witnessed in a country in Africa. I have ultimate faith in Justin Terry. And if he says he saw this, I believe him. That said, during my 40 years of practicing medicine, I never saw what I would call a true miracle, healing miracle, where there was actual suspension of natural order. I believe that because God created us and allows healing of many wounds and disorders, these might well be termed miracles. But they are according to the natural order of God inserted into creation. The kind of miracle to which I am referring would be regrowth of an ear, or an extremity, or a spontaneous disappearance of a biopsy-proven malignant tumor. I tend to follow the position of one of my favorite evangelical Anglicans, John Stott. You've heard me mention him many times. Let me read just a little of what he says, and perhaps that may help to define my position and possibly may help you to keep things in perspective. Stott begins by affirming the goodness of God's creation, adding that, quote, disease was no part of God's original intention for the world, and it will be no part of his ultimate purpose either. He then notes that we should fight disease with medicine and surgery because it is an alien intrusion and adds that all healing is divine healing since God has put into the human body remarkable therapeutic processes. But then as regards miracles, 
where there is suspension of natural order. Stott notes, we have no liberty to say, as some do, that performing miracles is the normal Christian life. And to clarify, Stott returns to Jesus, noting that he healed without the use of medical or surgical means, without delay, without degree, without remission, but immediately, completely, and permanently. And even hostile eyewitnesses said, we cannot deny it. You can look at Acts 3 and 4 for that later. Again, note that I am in no way denying the possibility of miraculous healing. I'm speaking only from my own experience as someone involved in the healing field for many years. Do I pray for miracles? Of course I do. And sometimes I'm expectant. But too often when I hear of people keep saying, pray, 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 and you'll have a miracle, I hear a sour note. I hear a note like, well, that lady and her friends didn't pray hard enough, and that's why she wasn't healed of her cancer. That, to me, suggests a capricious God. That is not my God. Let me close with final words of our Gospel passage, where the witnesses to the miraculous healing confess that Jesus has done all things well. Let us remember that Jesus never failed with his healings. He had a 100% cure rate, and none of his cures were partial. My favorite hymn writer, you must get tired of hearing me say these favorite things all the time. Karen shaking her head. My favorite hymn writer, Charles Wesley, I look back here, this is a Methodist church, in one of at least 12 stanzas in that magnificent hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and I was going to sing it, but I decided not to, <laughs> says in one of those stanzas, Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. This is what we must do. Our tongues are fortunately already loosened. Are we using them to thank and praise the Lord and even as importantly to tell others what Jesus Christ has offered us and what we can expect when we follow him. In this coming week, you have a task. I would ask you to seek out opportunities to tell others just how great our God really is. And as you tell them, be thankful in your heart that you have the awesome promise of eternal life. Amen.